Hey folks, hope your Q3 and Q4 is off to a good start. We just wrapped up Founder 500 in Austin, Texas. Hundreds of bootstrap founders showed up. It was an amazing time. I loved meeting so many of you. This interview today is a recording from that session, which you're going to love because now we have visuals, we have the founder teaching, and I made every single speaker include their revenue graphs and real artifacts in their presentations. Without further ado, let's jump in. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Join me in welcoming to the stage, Michael Maximoff of Folderly. Michael, welcome. All right, uh, just, okay. Hey folks, uh, it's been a long day, I know, so bear with me for another 20 minutes, okay? I'm trying to kind of shake things up and uh, give a nice presentation, a lot of content, all right? Uh, so, um, the the reason why Nathan asked me to, to do the keynote today is the, the the nature of the, or the reason why we started the SaaS company in the first place. So, I started this agency called Balkins back in 2017. Uh, now, we are rated the number one agency according to Clodge, D2, and all other ratings. We do this appointment setting, like lead generation appointment setting for businesses in 50 industries and uh, uh, we already serviced hundreds of customers worldwide, right? And the Folderly product is the spin-off of the agency, but we didn't close the agency. So in a way, agency is the parent company that we currently operate and we grow that have their own team and their own KPI. And the Folderly was the brainchild of the agency because we were not able to find the, the platform that could solve our problem, right? So uh, what Folderly is this platform that helps you to get your emails out of spam. So a lot of marketers and salespeople or who are in sales and marketing knew that whenever you run a campaign, you subsequently end up in spam. And uh, that's where we ran into when we were building the agency and uh, we had to solve that. So we built the product, right? And now uh, the way we grow is that we essentially are building like an ecosystem of products where um, Every product is a complementary to what the agency is doing, and all of them are servicing the same type of customers, thus increasing the LTV and all of the things, right? So, the so we started the the the, the SaaS Folderly platform. Um, so we've developed it for about a year, right? And these are the, the sort of like revenue metrics growth that we have for the for the SaaS. And we obviously didn't uh, you know didn't uh, raise any money or etc. because uh, we had. You know, we had the agency that can finance that, right? And I'm gonna talk in a minute about how we kind of packaged our team and what is the um, the the cap table, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? So, over the next 20 minutes, I'm gonna talk about um, the agency and the folderly and the cold emailing in general. Maybe give you some tips, folks, about um, how to send a, a nice cold email. Right? So, talking about um, the agency. So, the first one, how we tested SaaS 
ideas on agency clients. So when we were growing the agency, right, and we've been growing or doubling every year, um, and these are the projection of how many clients we had per se, right? Um, we were able, we were able to work with a lot of different industries, right? So, and because of that, we were able to collect the feedback out of those industries on what they need. So, in a way, uh, we were able to understand who from those industries have bigger problems with spam, right? For example, is it e-commerce or is it computer software or SaaS or et cetera, right? And that helps us a lot to be able to understand what are the first industries that we're going to be marketing this to, right? And um, just going back a bit here, um, it also helped us a lot uh, to be able to understand what industry are ready to pay more for our product and also using this we were able to sell our first clients as the service which i'm going to talk also in a minute so the few things here um how we test the sales idea on the agency clients right so first one um we had as i mentioned clients from the different industries right the second one our agency clients were the low-hanging fruit. So imagine this, we have this 100 clients that we work as an agency, we deliver the service, right? And uh, we know that this, we know these guys because we have account managers assigned to them. Uh, we know um, how much money they spend on marketing, etc. how big their sales teams are. We know that they are sending cold emails, right? And we know that they have a problem with spam. So the first thing we do is we go to them and we say, hey guys, we can solve this problem to your, to, to, to your sales team and this is how much money that's gonna cost. So in a way, they don't necessarily even need to have a product for this to solve, right? They just need the problem, they have a problem, they want the problem to be solved. So in a way, we start making the first money out of being able to solve the problem and not offer the product. And that was a, a, a great sort of like um, experiment for us because then we, we knew who was ready to, to, to pay us for the problem and how much money they were able to pay us. And um, I will actually go back to this, but just want to show you, this is one of these first clients that, that we had, and this is the email that we sent. So in a way, um, what, what we realized, we're like, okay, now we need to understand how we can package this. So the, the Folly as a product uh, was grow from a service. So what, the, we, what we did, we, we sell this uh, audit. So we came into a client and we say, hey, um, we wanted to understand what your current sending reputation is and what the problems are. And uh, there's an audit that's cost $2,000, which is obviously we just take it off. You know, it's not the real number, right? So we can spend $500 on that. But that was the cost that we thought is fair to get that problem fixed or at least to pinpoint the problem, right? So long story short, or, so you have the customer, they say sure, and then they we determined that they had like eight mailboxes that they had problems with. We market those mailboxes, and then we, we made this first ten or so you know ten or ish a thousand dollars from that customer. And that's when we realized. So the customer is, for example, a marketing agency. They're sending a lot of cold emails. They had problems with spam, and they are ready to pay us for this. So this money went to financing our developer team, right? So it means that we already had some money to be able to, without even taking off the money of the agency, we're able to essentially to take those money and to be able to invest them into our engineering team, right? So I think that the 
my point here is that very often the, the great thing about the agency is that you have these great clients that you already work with, but very often the agencies they still focus on delivering the best service, but they're not thinking about how they can actually productize their services, how they can sort of like solve the solve the problem that they're solving with the service with the product. And while they already making money, how they can create products subsequently that these products will be marketed to the clients that don't necessarily use this agency services, right? So, uh, so because we already have a relationship with these clients, selling them this the software was an easy, like a no-brainer for us, right? So that's how we make the first sales. Then sell service, then create a product. That's what I said, right? So we created the service, which already solved the problem and we start selling that service and start making money and then we subsequently created the product. Um, then high cost of the service gets you easier to sell a product. So uh, right now, if you go to Folderly website, you will see that software costs about $200 per seat, which is for the SaaS is a lot, right? And uh, if you are a, a, a business that has five, 10 salespeople, then you will be spending 2,500 a month on this software alone, which is also a lot, right? Because that's another software that you pay for. However, if you already pay us $1,000 for the service or $15,000 for the service, right? And then we need to uptick you for another $400, $600 for that, then you will go for it, right? Because the total total amount that you pay us every month is not significantly decreased, but the value that you receive from that is much higher. So in a way, um, when we start working on our pricing, we didn't just, one of the reasons why we went to the premium side of, of the pricing were because we knew that, um, our pricing will be compared to our service prices, right? And that also help us to get that first much higher profit or more profit margins to be able to, again, spend those money on the engineering, spend those money. Because, you know, no one you know, no one here, I think, doesn't want to play in the game when you have a low margin on any product because then you cannot risk and you cannot make a mistake. Because if you have a low margin and you make a mistake, then it costs you a lot and that's why a lot of people go to that, etc. And... Uh, so I'm Eastern European, right? And um, we obviously cannot, uh, we, you know, like in our culture, in a way, we don't have a debt general. So either you have money or you don't because there's no like banks or institutions that would help you with your business. So in a way, if I have $100, then I can spend them. If I don't have them, then I don't have them and then I don't spend them, right? So in a way, with that logic, we always were focusing on creating the products or the services with a, with a very high margin uh, obviously, we need to then deliver on the margin. We need to have a, a much higher quality. But the point was that uh, we never thought that we're not going to have enough money to, because if the customer ready to pay this amount for solving the problem, then it's already win for us, right? Um, selling the product to lost service deals. This is this one is cool. So when show I want to show you this slide when we have this Belkins agency, we have Folderly, Leadsforce, and other, right? Um, Every company, every product have their own sales team and we have different acquisition channels. The reason why we are marketing that as a different product is because then you can fight in every category, right? So in a way, um, Belkins is competing with some agencies and it's a very straightforward value proposition, Folderly with other, Leadsforce and other products with other category. And all of those generate leads. And the great thing is that because it's one team and one company, right, we are able to sort of like utilize deal of each other to be able to sell to each one of them. So for example, if the Belkins agency been on the market for five years and we already have probably 5,000 or 6,000 lost deals in our pipeline, 
we are able to access those deals to sell the product, right? So in a way, it's it's decreased the acquisition cost for those, and and then we can sort of like, and then because the same is the same ICP, right? The same ideal customer profile. So in a way, if the the uh, the, the Balkans agency is catering their services to a uh, to a small, mid-sized, enterprise type businesses to sales and marketing leaders, then all our products and services that we develop should cater their, the, the, their value proposition to the same type of ICP. And in this way, we can use the lost deals or deals of, of other products to market them to each other, which creates a lot of additional traction during the beginning when you have a product, right? Because when you have a product, the, you need to get those first 10 users or 100 users. And uh, that's, that's how we know that whenever we create a new product, we are able to have a zero budget, but uh, we are able to test it to understand whether it has a need or not, right? Um, delivering a service using a product as unique value proposition. This one is great because um, the, the way we were look, looking about our unique value proposition, and I started this appointment setting agency in 2017, you can imagine there was a lot of companies doing the same and how I was different, like do I have a different messaging, better, etc. right? So I was thinking uh, with my partner about how we can create unique value proposition and we focused on email as one of the channels, right? And when we were focusing on this channel and we created Folderly, that was our unique selling point for our agency salespeople to be able to sell it, right? Because then other agencies are just agency delivering the service and we we are appointment setting agency focusing on email acquisition channel, utilizing our proprietary technology to be able to, uh, to get you in front of the customer and close more appointments, which is great, right? So then customer, so in a way by creating SaaS product, I was able to increase my sales numbers for my agency and because my agency numbers are higher and we can generate more leads and more customers I'm able to upsell those customers with my product which is like a circle right so the more products I create the more I help that initial company and then it's a circle 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 right so again the point here is that um, whenever and again, I, I think I, I was uh, very lucky to be able to start in the service industry because I was able to know how to make money and how to service customer because in service industry, um, churn matters. And sometimes in one of your customer churn, then it uh, leads to a layoff, a layoff, et cetera, et cetera, right? So we knew how to make sure that we can minimize the churn. And uh, we knew that um, whenever I were, if I were to start in any other service business, I would still make sure that that service is delivered on a higher standard, that we can grow that service, but at the same time, um, I can create product to support those services. That's I'll, I'll kind of do that all over again, right? Um, another point, sell products by, uh, by giving them better deal on service to get them hooked up, right? The same goes. So for example, I can sell the service and um, I can give them um, that my product as a complementary to help the service, right? And then uh, use agency clients as initial product, which is like, uh, as I said, so I showed you this. So this is the, the, the table. So when we started the, um, so I actually wanted to show you this first. So I mentioned this Belkin system agency, it's a group. We have this backend office that consists of admin, HR, recruitment, financial, and legal. And we have this product services that we market and everyone have their own, obviously, team and the KPIs, etc. right? And uh, the great thing is that I was able to get my first team on the SaaS um, of the agency to be able to build that product without actually financing it. And then after we've successfully launched it and we see the traction, then those folks, they were able to build the 
team within uh, you know their verticals and then those teams start working on folders separately but i didn't sort of like you know went and and sort of like hired the team and build the product so it was organic sort of like building from uh, of, of the agency right um so in terms of uh in terms of the cup table right so this is how the cap table looks for us so we don't give away equity to anyone so uh, me and my partner so the way it works is um the way it works is uh, we are purely performance-based and revenue-sharing-based. So in a way, we believe that uh, if we make money, we make money and split them together. So when I started agency, all the people that started with us and the C-level and generally um, everyone is like performance-based. So um, in our organization, everyone has have their own individual salary spreadsheet that they can fill out their, their compensation themselves. So in a way, they have their base, they have their table with bonuses, etc. And then everyone is performance-based. So if you're a salesperson or like account manager or even like a developer, you can make more money out of your performance if the company performs better, right? Because they, they so everything is very open. So because of that, everyone is super hyped for being efficient and show the better number because the more money we make as a company, obviously the more money you can put in your own pocket, which is great. As, as a result, no one, no one talks about uh, stocks, etc., because everyone are in this, uh, you know, in, in this situation where every next year, the more you work, the the, the higher your percentages, or the more company make, your salary grows, your bonuses grows, you're you're you know creating more value for yourself, for your family, etc., etc. And as a result, um, most of the people in the company they are performance based right and they make money of the kpis that they make of the company performance in general um there are some people that uh, gets the the profit sharing right um usually these are heads or, or c-level and whenever we start a new product within this organization then essentially um, if that product is successful like folderly then the person who built that product is able to get the revenue sharing from the whole company. So in a way, you are interested in building the great product because then you you, you can feed off all the other products were successful. And everyone in the company interested in having as many successful products as we can because everyone will be taking off money from all these products. So it's a it's a shared responsibility for the success of all the products and sharing resources. So all the marketing people, all the template writer, copywriters, designers, they care about each and every new product in the company to be successful successful because that's going to lead to their success, right? Um, the, the few things that we did, so bootstrapping performance, as I said, right? So it means that um, from the, so the first thing that I did was when I started the company and I had, you know, and had nothing in terms of the bank account, right? Uh, we build a PL and we make sure that every money that came in from the customer are categorized. So I knew where we spent every dollar from the start of the company. And because of that, we knew that um, we, we knew how to efficiently spend money, right? So we wouldn't invest money to go to a trade show because we knew that we can spend the same much of money, for example, buying some leads and sending some emails, and then we can generate more clients. So we can be efficiently spending this money in a different direction. Right, uh, we always and th and because right now everyone is performance based and revenue sharing, um, they also think twice before spending money. So it means that whenever you send, um, whenever you set up a budget for a marketing leader, for example, hundred thousand dollars a month, they won't want to spend this hundred thousand dollars a month because they knew that the more money they spend, the less money they get. So they would want to be smart about the money they spend. So if they spend, for example, seven thousand dollars, they would say, okay, well, I I 
get my KPIs done for the lower amount of money, so now I can make more money of myself and the company, right? Uh, so we were, uh, you know, our clients came from the outbound, obviously, emails are the first clients that we, and we know how to market them. Agency gave us the first clients, and then the, these clients now are shared, and the new product that we are releasing, we are using agency as, you know, as, uh, as the sort of like donor area for the clients. Um, because email drivability and uh, spam is a new problem, we're currently working on creating a lot of content and educating users and that help us to also grow um, in, you know, in terms of the brand and, and, and marketing generally. And we also are able to set up new market benchmarks and KPI by doing a lot of study as well as, you know, um, and then I'm gonna share in a minute some numbers with you in terms of the average open rates, industry rates that we were able to collect because we were able to service so many businesses and send so many emails, right? Uh, we're focusing a lot on the case studies and reviews. So I've, you know, I realized that obviously whenever you grow a business, um, having external testimonials is very important for the acquisition, right? So right now, because we have, you know, hundreds for the agency, for example, we have hundreds or, you know, video testimonials, case studies, uh, you know, like external testimonials, all of them, then our sales team are able just to send the links and it's a no-brainer for the customer to know who is the best in the game, right? But for us to get to this point, we, were, we had to ask every customer, hey, can you leave this? We're having so much fun right now. There are so great results. Can you leave it? We need to, so we follow up every customer. We even have a KPI inside our team for our account manager to be able to collect this many reviews every month because that's the only way you will do it gradually and you do it consistently every month without, and that help us to be the leaders. And then obviously the premium support, which I'm not gonna be talking about, right? So this is the contract that is available on this uh, drive that uh, Nathan is giving away, that uh, the example of the contract that we used to, uh, to send uh, to, to, to close to service clients uh, for the product. Um, and then real quick, so, Talking about the cold emailing, right? Because I know I'm out of time. Uh, this is the, the way how the cold emailing, well, generally how the email works. So whenever you start sending out an email, um, you think like, oh, well, I have an email, I send it, recipient either received it or not. But on the back end, under the hood, there are also things going on at the same time, right? So the most important things are there is, uh, the sender reputation, right? The setup, as well, the content, and that would, so for example, when you see the screen, the first line is right, whenever you send out an email, um, it, uh, so the email, when it's sent to recipient, it's automatically assigned your settings, like the Kim settings and some others. So it's very important for whenever you send a cold email, make sure that your DNS records are set up, set up correctly. Sorry. And very often, because we are using so many tools, um, we are tool engineering them, and that's why a lot of time we see for our customers that their DNS records are not set up correctly and that harms their domain reputation, right? The next, what this, you know, based on the process, what it does is that um, the spam filters, they check in your policies and then based on that, they, dis, uh, they check the IP reputation and the blacklist and then they check your content and then on the last, the third line you see when they, they decide if all is good, then they bypass it. If something is wrong, then they quarantine it. And if it's something is really bad, then they reject it altogether. But if it's quarantined or rejected, then it harms your reputation. So in a way, the more bounced emails you have, uh, the more people market this spam or the more spam words you have in the content, that affects your reputation and it's, it stores in, on, on the, you know, in the databases of these spam filters. So in a way, subsequently in the future, whenever you're gonna be sending the same emails, but maybe 
to a, a different group of people, the reputation of your campaign will be much lower because of the result of your previous campaigns, right? So, which is important. So, this is the the link to this document where we uh, so we collected over 10 million emails that we were sending over the last like four years to 100 uh, on the behalf of thousands of customers, and we were able to get the average open rate and average reply rate of the of the cold emailing. So, you are able to access this document through this link, and you can see, for example, whenever you're planning your cold email campaign and you want to email e-learning, you can say, for example, where you need to be in terms of your email open rate and reply rate, right? And then uh, the last one is 10, uh, 10 tips or 10 things you need to keep in mind whenever you run a campaign, all right? So first one, validate your prospect emails, right? That's very important. So there are a lot of tools. We recommend using Zero Bounce as a tool to, to do that. So make sure that all the emails are valid. We even don't recommend to using catch-all emails, just the valid emails, right? Uh, reached out to the target audience to avoid spam flagging. So by target audience, I mean, um, it's better to be very targeted in terms of who you email to. So don't just buy a database and just send a blast. Be very targeted in terms of who and how you send an emails to. So it's better to spend more money on this uh, very nice targeted 100 or 500 leads and get the result out of them than blasting 5,000 emails and getting a 0.5% open rate, right? Uh, as I mentioned, set up your DNS correctly. You can use our platform for that. Uh, create engaging content, subject line matters. So the way, um, so the idea is that the, the more open rate, reply rates, and engagement rates you have for your emails, uh, the better your reputation is. And the higher your reputation is, it means that generally uh, you're gonna have more open rates. So it means that if you have a very low engagement rate, then uh, you need to work on that uh, because by having higher, you're gonna set up yourself for success. Um, average sequence um, of emails, five, six follow-ups, um, adhere to the natural mailbox limit. So the setup matters. So for example, our perfect setup for the cold emailing is um, Google as the ESP and tool of reply.io or outreach.io as the uh, engagement platform to sending out emails. And when I'm using Google as an ESP, one mailbox has a natural limit of under 250 emails per day that can be sent with a delay about 200 seconds between emails. So it means that uh, I can send only 200 because if I send more, then it harms my reputation. And I really wanted those 60, 70% open rates, right? Uh, Personalization is the key. Show, show me, you know me, right? So personalize your outreach, as previous speakers were talking, right? Always A/B test, of course. Uh, different industries, different ICPs, different templates, right? Uh, never use personal emails, right? So we never email to anyone with like a Gmail and Yahoo and others. Use only corporate mailboxes because, in a way, uh, I can probably, for example, my bail mailbox is Michael at Belkins.io, right? Which is like. I think half percent, half fifty percent of the people have the mailboxes with their name and the domain name, so I can find it basically just by googling, right? So, which is fine. And then, don't be afraid to mix the other channels to your outreach to drive the best results. So, um, obviously, I didn't have time to explain our omni-channel approach to marketing, but we are doing a lot of those things. But the idea is that um, even though we are email-focused, we still invest a lot into different channels to mix them up and to be able to create the customer a more holistic approach to their buying journey, right? So uh, really focusing on all the channels. So if you're not using all the channels, then you should start using them. Obviously, some more heavily, some less heavily, but at the end of the day, it's about being everywhere and hitting as many doors as you can. Oh, thank you very much.